here is the story that answers the question, why be good if I'll be forgiven? This is from Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. And I'll preach on this in a couple minutes. Here is what it says. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When it says recline at the table in Jesus' times, it means the table is six inches high, you're on your side, and you're leaning on your elbow. That's how they ate in those days. Maybe you're sitting cross-legged. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Denarii is about a day's wage. So we're talking about a year, year and a half of wages. 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, You see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, and she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Do I have to? If you know any kids, you know those words. Do I have to go? Do I have to stay? Do I have to brush my teeth? Do I have to help with the dishes? Do I have to? Now, you don't have to be a kid to say those words either, right? We all have our own human instinct, and so you wake up after a long weekend on Monday morning, and as a full-blown responsible adult, you say to yourself, do I have to go to work today? Do I have to stay in a, in a high-maintenance relationship? Do I have to mow the lawn? Do I have to do the laundry? Do I, how about this one? Do I have to do what is good? And as we put two and two together, as we've gone through this forgiveness series, man, we've had a lot of grace and a lot of love and a lot of mercy and a lot of free forgiveness flowing down from Jesus. So maybe we put two and two together and say, you know, doing the right thing can be so exhausting, 
And doing the wrong thing, if I'm honest, I'm going to tell you, sometimes that's kind of appealing. So hey, why be good if I'll be forgiven? Philip Yancey wrote the book, What's So Amazing About Grace, and a bunch of us are reading it in this series. Here is something that he wrote. Um, this is in chapter 14. And he, and he gives a story to address this question. And he said, my friend, I'll call him Daniel, approached me, we went out for coffee, and he dropped this bomb on me. He said, he said Philip, I'm planning to divorce my wife for no, re no other reason than I'm just tired of her and I want to change. And Philip says there's this other younger, prettier woman involved in this guy's life. And then the guy dropped this question on, on his friend Philip Yancey. Can you promise me that God will forgive me for what I'm about to do, leave my wife? All right, here's, what, here's part of Philip Yancey's response. Can God forgive you? Of course. God uses murderers and adulterers. For goodness sake, a couple of scoundrels named Peter and Paul led the New Testament church. Forgiveness is our problem, not God's. What we have to go through to commit sin distances us from God, and there's no guarantee we will ever come back. You ask me about forgiveness now, but will you even want it later? especially if it involves repentance. Think about what forgiveness really is. What makes forgiveness forgiveness is that it changes things. And, it, and sin changes things. I mean, sin is why forgiveness is necessary in the first place, right? Right? But sin changes things too. So let me give you some examples. And they're all Christian people. They know their Bible. They know their Savior. All right? Christian number one has an anger problem, and, and they're doing nothing to manage their anger problem. Okay? It's a sin. Christian number two is caught in, in an addiction to alcohol, and, and they're fueling their addiction on a daily basis. Christian number three has kind of really abandoned church and the Bible um, has just, just ignores it altogether. And all, all three of them, because they know they'll be forgiven. So, I, for a second, I don't want to talk about the forgiveness. Let's just talk about the sin, okay? My point is that sin changes things. So that sin, whether it's forgiven or not, that sin changes four things. You might want to write these down. Four things. Number one, that sin, as, as those three people continue to commit those sins, changes the person. It changes the person to develop that sin as a habit that becomes an uncontrollable addiction the more that they do it. Forgiven or not. I'm talking about how sin changes you. Right? Sin changes you. Sin, then, because it changes that person, that person becomes more self-absorbed in that sin and less 
kind of blurry and foggy-eyed to see what that sin is doing to people around them. So number two, how sin changes things, it changes the people around you. It hurts the people around you. And eventually hurts more and more people in wider and wider circles and hurts them more and more deeply. And, and the sinner doesn't see it. Because they're changing, right? They don't change as you, change people around you. Sin changes opportunities and blessings to simply not be experienced. Maybe it doesn't see him. Maybe God doesn't want to give him. A host of reasons, but it changes circumstances and possible open doors and blessings and opportunities. It changes that landscape. Alcoholic might lose a job, for example, or might lose a promotion, right? Get it? Here's the biggest. Sin, Philip Yancey implied this, Sin hurts a person's relationship with God. It slaps them in the face and says, I love you, God, but I don't love you. God, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. And so sin changes a person's relationship with God. Um, <coughs> look at it this way. Uh, a guy and a gal, they fall in love, they get married on his wedding night. Can you imagine a guy on his wedding night <coughs> having this conversation with his wife? Honey, <coughs> I love you so much. I'm so eager to spend our life together. But can I just ask you, how far can I go with other women? I'm just, I just want to broach the, the topic, you know, uh, sending them provocative Snapchats, hooking up with them, having a few affairs. You know, can you just, I just what, I want to kind of work out the details of our relationship here. And hey, you know, if I do those things, think of all the opportunities you'll have to forgive me. Doesn't that, you, you wouldn't ever imagine that any, that conversation would ever happen, right? Because marriage changes you. Marriage change, like it or not, I love it. I love it. Some don't, but marriage changes you. That conversation right there, has that guy been changed by marriage? I would say that doesn't sound like a guy who's married. I would say marriage hasn't changed him. So a faith that doesn't change you is a faith that doesn't save you. Asking the question, it, do I have to do good if I'll be forgiven? That, that puts up red flag for me. Wow, if we're really serious about that question, I'm wondering about what kind of faith that person, faith has really, has faith changed that person? And if not, I don't know if faith has saved that person. Um, that great chapter of faith in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of faith as it presents Moses and Abraham and Samson and, right, all these heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. That's a response, actually, to Hebrews chapter 10. And, and the Bible writer of Hebrews, God inspired this author to write to these people who, had, who mostly were former Jews and now had become Christians, but they were thinking about leaving Christianity because they were being persecuted and they were suffering. They were, th they were thinking about denouncing their faith and, and thinking, well, maybe because we're Christian, we can just say we're not and everything will be okay. Th th that has some entitlement to it, right? If, I, if, I, if I'm still in the church, but I can just denounce my Christianity, Here's what the writer to the Hebrews says about this, why can't I sin? Because uh, uh, I know I'll be forgiven, all right? That's, that's a dangerous sin because it's deliberate. 
It's, it's planned. It's premeditated. Here's what he says. This is in Hebrews chapter 10. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, right? He's saying, you know what you're doing. No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. He says, you have saving faith, that saving faith changes you. So what does that look like? We have, a, we have an excellent story of what that looks like in this Luke chapter 7 as Jesus interacts at, at dinner with a sinful prostitute and a, and a good church man, a good church member named Simon, he's a Pharisee, and he interacts with them both and he says to the sinful prostitute, not to Simon, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So let's explore that and find out why Jesus says that to her and not him. Okay, so I'll read uh, chapter 7 in Luke. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood be behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Two things. Number one, when the Bible says a woman in that town, literally it says a, a, a woman of the city, that's a, a phrase in that culture that means she's a lady of the city, a lady of the night, a prostitute, right? She had, and it even says she lived a sinful life in that town. So we know with certainty that who she is and her reputation, that's what it's all about. She comes to this dinner already with a faith that has changed her, and then it's, it's only because she knows of Jesus and comes to find him, and now that faith is enhanced as she interacts with him. And there's two very important actions of hers that, that tell us a lot about this. Number one is that she let down her hair. In that culture, for a woman to let down her hair was a very intimate and even promiscuous as a matter of fact, the rabbis made the rule that if you're a married woman and you, let, uh, and you let down your hair in public, that's grounds for divorce. Women wore their hair up in public. There's some of that in some Middle Eastern culture yet today, right? You see it. Uh, but then this woman had let down her hair many times for many men. And now she lets down her hair again except for a different man, for a different reason. And perhaps for the first time, for free. Secondly, she pours perfume on his feet. It, an alabaster jar of perfume was shaped in such a way, usually with stone, and it was... It, 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 it could be many different sizes, but if, if this is a portable one, it was a smaller one. And usually, those alabaster jars of perfume had like a nozzle and a little spray bulb on them. So like a woman would, would spray fragrance on her today, um, very similar. So you didn't need to pour out all of the alabaster perfume on you or even dab it. You just needed a little 
I, I want to say squirt. That's the guy's word. Um, mist. You just needed a little mist, right? And so, and, and they would make these the size where women could actually wear them around their necks. Why did they do that? Because these were the days before air conditioning and deodorant. Okay? So, uh, women were particularly in tune with this more than guys, I imagine. And so, women would wear these jars around their neck to, to a little squirt, little mist as needed. For a prostitute, this is the tool of her trade, or a tool of her trade. She must present herself as attractive and desirable to men if she's going to make a living, if she's going to be in business, right? So this, this for, for this woman, this alabaster jar is very important for her. It's her livelihood, it's her career, and it's more than that. It, it means beauty and attractability for her, desirability. And in order to pour that perfume on Jesus' feet, she has to break it. She has to break that nozzle part off, or even the neck. Sometimes there's a, she has, she has to be done with it, and it will work no more. You see what she's doing. She's saying to Jesus, I don't need this for my beauty anymore. I don't need this to be attractive anymore. I don't need, Jesus, I pour out to you. You are my beauty, my Lord. You are my attractiveness, my Lord. I don't need anything else. I don't need perfume. I don't need hair. I, Jesus, you are everything that I need, and I need nothing else. That's what her faith is saying. That's how her faith changes her. And we call this, my friends, repentance. Repentance is very essence means U-turn. It means I'm, I'm looking at something one way, and I take a U-turn, and I turn around, and if I take a U-turn, I'm looking at it that way. All the signs I've passed as I'm driving this direction, I'm not looking at the back of the signs or the front. I have a new perspective. Repentance changes things. We're seeing how our faith changes things for this woman in three particular ways. And so I want us to look at this, and they're short, but they're meaningful. Okay? This woman is saying, because Jesus is my life, I am dead to sin. Being dead, to, dead people don't need anything. We, we put them in caskets and give them burials because we need something. They don't need that, right? So when you're dead, you don't need anything. So to say you're dead to sin means sin, I don't need you. She didn't need to be loved by lovers anymore because she she had the greatest love in her Lord Jesus. She didn't need sin. Sin wants to convince you that you need it, and it's a liar. So, because Jesus is my life, I am dead to sin. I don't need it anymore. Secondly, because Jesus is my Lord, I'm free from other control. Sin is a taker, not a giver. God is a giver, not a taker. Sin doesn't just want to flirt with you. Sin wants to master you, and sin wants to possess you. 
Sin wants to control you. The more you do it, the more it's going to have that advantage. When I say, Jesus, you're my, you control me. I'm free. And here's a little footnote hint. If when it comes to control issues, you're thinking, as I do, I, I think this. I think sometimes my possessions possess me. And I, or I think sometimes that relationships control me. Um, money wants to be my God. Uh, getting things done. Uh, being a perfectionist. I think those, some, those control me. I'm, here's really? No. Okay? And, and those are idols. An idol is just a thing. It's my servitude of those things that really controls me not those things. Your possessions, it, right? It's the sin that controls me, not the objects. Oops. Not the objects. It's that, so that's, when, G, when, when Jesus is my Lord, I'm free from that control. Now, uh, thirdly, because Jesus is my love, I find my attractiveness and my desirability in him. She, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. And until she found it in the right place, and she found it, the sinful one, she found it in Jesus. And because he's her love, she doesn't need the perfume. And she does what she wants with her hair when it's for him. And she maybe felt love from all the other men, but it wasn't real love. It wasn't true love. Their love wasn't aimed at her. Their love used her because it was aimed at them. They loved her because they needed something from her. Jesus loves her not because he needs her or needs anything from her. And for the first time, she experiences real love and is able to say, how that changes me. I don't, I don't need to earn that love. I don't need to be desirable and attractive to try to find love anymore because Jesus gives it to me freely. All right, so now I, what I've done now is just wound the story in Luke 7 together with Romans chapter 6, which talks about the facets of why do good if I'll be forgiven. So let me remind you of those words from Romans 6. It says this, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means, he says a second time. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. God's love has been poured out into our hearts. You know how it's different waking up to an alarm or getting out of bed on the day that you're headed on vacation, you, you, and the alarm goes off at 3.30 a.m. for your vacation to Hawaii, and you can just spring out of bed and head to the airport. And that's different than a Monday morning going to work. Or think of Christmas morning for kids. Same thing, right? The, why is that different? Because on when it's vacation, that 3.30 a.m. wake-up call and that early, more that brutal flight schedule, that doesn't own you. Vacation owns you. So it's doable. Right? Same thing with Christmas morning. 
the, the early wake-up, normally kids, you have to pry them out of bed with the jaws of life? No, now, now it's not the early wake-up call that owns the moment. It, when Christmas owns the moment, it changes things. See how? See how having Jesus as our love and our Lord and our life changes things for us. Now, what did that look like in Simon the Pharisee? You have these, you have Jesus' words to Simon as he's talking to Simon. And he's basically saying, Simon, you didn't pour perfume on my feet. I, I wish you would have. Simon, I, I, I wish you had let down your hair. I, I wish you had kissed my feet like this woman. You can picture Simon saying, what? Do I have to? I don't think of Simon as too evil of a person here. I used to until I studied this week. Because he invited Jesus to dinner at his house. <clears throat> and, he, and he says that phrase, if, if he were a prophet. And, and that takes some self-righteousness and feelings of superiority for him to say that. But you, you invite rabbis to your house if you want to support them. If you, if you like what they're saying and you want to help them in their, in their ministries. And so I get the impression that Simon actually was interested in Jesus, liked what he was saying, maybe wanted to be a supporter of Jesus. And so he's not an evil, wicked person. He's a good church guy. But he doesn't understand forgiveness. Free, unconditional, merciful forgiveness that Jesus is offering. Because he asked that question. He, he, if Jesus knew who he was talking to, he'd know he doesn't want to be talking to her. Um, <clears throat> but he still had this misunderstanding, do I have to? Be careful of a Simon type of faith. You and I have a Simon faith when there's no weeping, when there's no breaking the bottle of whatever we need to feel loved and desirable and attractive, when there's no breaking the bottle. There's just a few squirts. That's Simon faith. When, when we feel that being a church member gives us some entitlement of some kind, and even if my name is on the roster and I don't show up, that somehow that magically makes me a Jesus follower. That's a Simon type of faith. I don't picture any of those people as evil, sinister people. But that mentality attacks us. And it, and it got Simon, and it can get us too. And we need to take to heart the parable that Jesus tells about the two debtors. That if I'm forgiven for 50 denarii versus 550, I, you know, Jesus does some stuff for me. I like the guy. I like having him around. I'll, I'll talk about him once in a while. I'll join a church even. I'll attend. I'll, I, I, you know, Jesus... Get, Gives me some stuff that is worth about 50 denarii. Makes, makes my life good. Thanks, Jesus. Or has he turned my life upside down? Has he made me turn around in repentance and look at new things in new ways? I'm so attracted to him. 
that I have no attraction higher than how beautiful he is and how beautiful he makes me. That's the difference between this woman and, and the Pharisee. Jesus kind of wraps it up in his summary statement about this changed woman. He, he, you know, and, and it says, he, he says to Simon, but he's looking at the woman, right? Uh, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus is just going on and on talking about this woman in Simon's presence, how great she is, how, how she's forgiven, everything that she did. He's saying, isn't she great, Simon? Look at this woman. But Simon, little. Woman, great. Simon, little. And uh, the woman was great because she knew how great her Savior's love was for her. She poured herself out to him because as Savior, Jesus pours himself out to us. And not just a little, not a little miss. Jesus broke himself and poured out himself when he broke the doors open from an eternal paradise in heaven and the Father said, I want you to go to that bad planet down there. And the gates of heaven broke open and Jesus poured his entire being onto this earth, onto into us. And then read Isaiah chapter 53, when the Bible talks about Jesus giving his life on the cross and giving himself as a sacrifice, it uses that word. Jesus poured himself out as a, as a sin offering for us, and Jesus' blood was poured out. It not misted, not dribbled. Pour, he poured out his life for us, and he pours himself out in holy communion, in and bread and wine and body and blood for us to say, I'm not giving you a little. I'm giving you a great much. And we who receive his great much by faith have and do what is great, not what is little. Philip Yancey tells the story of Johnny Cash, who visited a prison... Johnny Cash-like, and uh, did a story about the, the song Amazing Grace. And he'd go there and he'd sing Amazing Grace in prison, and then he'd interview the, pr the prisoners about what the song Amazing Grace means to them. And you could guess he had numerous answers. Here was one of them. One man serving time for attempted murder replied this when, he asked, when asked, what does this song Amazing Grace mean to you? And the cameras are rolling, and this man says, I've been a deacon, a good church man, but I never knew what grace was until I ended up in a place like this. Do you believe that? Can you believe that it is possible for you to be a church person like Simon who needs just a little forgiveness and therefore shows a little love? Can you also believe that you are just like this sinful woman who sees that I, uh, uh, my love has been redirected toward everything but Jesus, but when I see him and I believe in him and I know how he's poured himself out for me, that my love for him is great because I know his love for me is first of all great. Can you believe that? Then this is true. A faith, you say this, a faith that saves me is a faith that changes me. 
and your love will be great. And your commitment to Jesus and his words will be great. Not because you are great, because he has poured his greatness into you. And you will say, I no longer want to live a life of little love for Jesus and for others. Those who have been forgiven much, love much in return. Jesus, our Lord, our life, and our love, you change our lives in ways that are too big for us to understand and so divine for us to even imagine, but, but you give us your truth and your promises in the scriptures, and you put us in these stories as Simon and as the sinful woman, and you say, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. Thank you for washing us clean of our guilty consciences this morning. Be ever present with us as we go to work this week, as we engage in our circles of friendship this week, as we travel. Be with us, Jesus, and, and make us different. Help us to change in ways that give you great honor and great love and great glory. And let you know how much you truly mean to us, even as we believe how much we mean to you. In your name we pray, amen.